Hello, this is Supriti from newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Thursday, the 4th of March. India registered over 17,000 coronavirus cases yesterday, which is an additional 2,000 cases since the day before. 91 deaths were reported in the same time frame, taking the death toll to nearly 1,57,000. Maharashtra accounts for over 50,000 of these cases. It is followed by Tamil Nadu, which has registered about 12,000 deaths. The overall count of coronavirus cases in the country stands at over 1 crore 11 lakhs. As we approach the one-year mark of the pandemic, United Nations Agency UNICEF found that over 168 million schoolchildren globally missed out on learning in class as schools in about 14 countries remained shut for almost a year due to coronavirus-related lockdowns. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres called the staggering number of children missing out on valuable education a tragedy. He said, and I quote, We have millions of children out of school, and that is a tragedy. A tragedy for them, a tragedy for their countries, a tragedy for the future of humankind. End quote. Henrietta Faure, executive director at UNICEF, referred to the situation as a catastrophic education emergency, adding that it was children who are most marginalized that are paying the heaviest price. She said, and I quote, we cannot afford to move into year two of limited or even no in-school learning for these children. No effort should be spared to keep schools open or prioritize them in reopening plans. End quote. A Washington-based think tank called Freedom House has demoted India's freedom score from free to partly free, the Indian Express reported today. It said that rights and civil liberties have been eroding since Narendra Modi became Prime Minister in 2014, specifically referring to attacks on Muslims, use of the sedition law, and the government's response to the coronavirus. Freedom House said, and I quote, Modi's Hindu nationalist government has presided over increased pressure on human rights organizations, rising intimidation of academics and journalists, and a spate of bigoted attacks including lynchings aimed at Muslims. The decline deepened following Modi's re-election in 2019 and the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic in 2020 featured further abuses of fundamental rights. End quote. India's score dropped from 71 to 67, with 100 being the ranking for the most free country. Freedom House noted that the change in India's status from free to partly free was the most significant for 2020, as it meant that less than 20% of the world's people now live in a free country, the smallest proportion since 1995. On the other end of the spectrum, the most free countries in the world are Finland, Norway and Sweden, while the least free with a score of 1 are Tibet and Syria. Express reported that Freedom House viewed India's drop as part of a broader shift in the international balance between democracy and authoritarianism, with authoritarians enjoying impunity and seizing new opportunities to consolidate power or crush dissent. The report also assessed internet freedom in India and found that it had declined dramatically for a third straight year. It cited internet shutdowns, blocked content, disinformation spread by political leaders, online harassment, amendments to the foreign direct investment policy, coordinated spyware campaigns and digital monitoring for the decline. 
India has the dubious reputation of shutting down the internet more times than any other country in the world. State and central governments kill the internet to stifle dissent and prevent protests from inconveniencing the powers that be. But internet shutdowns also take away basic rights from citizens, lead to loss of life and reduce standards of living. To know more about the far-reaching implications of internet shutdowns in India, watch Meghnad's explainer titled Why Internet Shutdowns Are a Violation of Human Rights. Two more people were arrested yesterday in connection with the alleged killing of a 50-year-old man who had filed a police complaint regarding his daughter's molestation in Uttar Pradesh's Hathras district. The police identified the two accused as Rohita Sharma and Nikhil Sharma. The prime accused in the case, Gaurav Sharma, is still at large. A cash reward of Rs 1 lakh has been announced by the Hathras Superintendent of Police, Vineet Jaiswal, for people who provide information that could assist in his arrest. The incident took place at around 4.30pm on Monday, when an argument between the families of the woman and the accused escalated outside a village temple. In video shot by local journalists, the woman can be seen crying outside a police station and demanding justice. Our correspondent Nidhi Suresh went to Hathras and spoke to the aggrieved family. You can head over to newslaundry.com and read her detailed report, which will help you break down the details of the murder, including the political tussle that is associated with it. The report is titled, Price a Father Pays for Supporting His Girls, Hathras Woman's Harasser Kills Her Father. Dear listeners, our team can report on these incidents from the ground only because you support us. We are an independent news platform producing podcasts, ground reports, interviews, videos, media critique and much more. We would not be able to do all this work if not for our subscribers. So, if you aren't a subscriber already, now is the time to join the movement to keep news free and independent. Go to newslaundry.com and hit the subscribe button at the top right-hand corner of the website. Our lowest subscription starts at 300 rupees a month only. Pay to keep news free. Yesterday, senior BJP leader and Minister of State, Labour and T-Tribes Welfare, Sanjay Krishnan, alleged that the Congress had exploited the tea community in the state more than any other political party. Krishnan said, and I quote, The rights of the tea tribes were taken away by the Congress during its 15-year-long regime in Assam. Priyanka's grandmother, late Indira Gandhi, and father, late Rajiv Gandhi, never understood the sentiments of the tea tribes. When the Sarbananda Sonwal-led government was formed in the state, steps were taken to give back the rights of the tea tribes, end quote. He further claimed that since the BJP came to power at the centre, bank accounts for more than 4 lakh tea workers had been opened. The Sentinel reported that he accused the Congress of not bothering to do the same, thereby depriving the tea tribe community of various funds. Assam accounts for over half of India's total tea production. Tea garden workers were brought by the British from states like Orissa, Bihar and West Bengal after 1860. According to a report by the Indian Express, the tea tribe community, which comprises 17% of the state's population, is a deciding factor in almost 40 Assam Assembly seats out of the 126. While the community is one of the most marginalised in Assam, it is also a large vote bank. In Tripura, opposition deputy leader Badal Chaudhary was allegedly attacked by a group of BJP supporters at Manirampara, his own constituency in South Tripura district. 
East Mojo reported that Chaudhary managed to escape to Bellonia, a town nearby, and immediately reported the incident to the superintendent of police. The CPIM State Committee released a press statement condemning the attack, as Chaudhary is also a member of the CPIM Central Committee. The statement read, and I quote, Every day for the last three years, BJP miscreants have been carrying out violent attacks, but the law enforcement agencies are inactive without fulfilling their responsibilities. There is no rule of law in the state. The CPIM state secretariat strongly condemns and protests the fascist-style attack of BJP miscreants on Badal Chaudhary and other leaders in the presence of the police, end quote. On the other hand, BJP spokesperson Nabendu Bhattacharji denied any involvement by workers of the Saffron Party. He said, and I quote, The attackers on Badal Chaudhary were not BJP workers because the BJP does not believe in the politics of violence, end quote. The South Tripura District Police have registered a case in connection with the incident and an investigation has begun. Now for some international updates. Globally, COVID-19 has infected more than 115 million people and killed over 2.55 million, according to John Hopkins University. Germany planned to extend the lockdown by three more weeks, but Chancellor Angela Merkel and the governors of the 16 states in the country have agreed to ease restrictions to allow non-essential services to reopen in places that have relatively low infection rates. On Wednesday, the United States called on military authorities in Myanmar to release an Associated Press journalist and five other members of the media who were detained while covering demonstrations against a military coup, Reuters reported. Thien Zaw, a Burmese journalist working for AP, was among six journalists who were detained during the protests and charged with violating a public order law. The BBC reported that at least 38 people were killed in Myanmar on Wednesday in what the UN described as the bloodiest day since the coup took place a month ago. Protesters have been calling for an end to military rule and the release of the country's elected government leaders, including Aung San Suu Kyi, who were overthrown and detained in the coup. The UK has called for a United Nations Security Council meeting on Friday, while the US said it was considering further action against Myanmar's military. The International Criminal Court's Chief Prosecutor, Fatou Ben Soda, has opened a formal investigation into alleged war crimes in the Palestinian territories. The Gambian lawyer said the probe would cover events in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza Strip since June 2014. Israel rejected Ms. Bonsuda's decision, while Palestinian officials praised it. The U.S. echoed Israel's reaction, expressing disappointment and opposition to the move. Despite the fact that Israel has never ratified the Rome Statute, which is the ICC's founding treaty, the court ruled that it had jurisdiction, as the United Nations Secretary-General accepted the Palestinians' accession to the treaty in 2015. Ms. Ben Soda explained that her office was obliged to act where a state party had referred a situation to it and it is determined that a reasonable basis exists to commence an investigation, the BBC reported. She added that her office had carried out a preliminary examination that lasted close to five years and promised that the investigation would be conducted independently, impartially and objectively, without fear or favour. The prosecutor also concluded that there was reasonable basis to believe that in the context of Israel's occupation of the West Bank, members of the Israeli authorities had committed war crimes. 
That's all the news we have for you today. Have a good day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the news laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you.